This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. That's We'll Meet Again, one of the most iconic songs from the Second World War. Today, in honor of Remembrance Day, we'll revisit some of the popular music from the era and learn about its important role in keeping up morale. Plus, I'll be joined by German author Sonke Neitzel. His book, Soldaten, analyzes secret audio recordings made by Allied forces listening to the conversations of German prisoners of war. They reveal an unimaginable acceptance of war crimes and brutality. And of course, all eyes were on America this Tuesday as voters across the country re-elected President Barack Obama. Today, I'll be joined by Deborah Whitman from AARP, the Association for Older Americans. We'll talk about what the results mean for Zoomers south of the border. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Here's something that will make many Zoomers smile. A major ruling by the Supreme Court of Canada has invalidated the Viagra patent held by the pharmaceutical firm Pfizer. The case was brought by Teva, which is developing its own version of the erectile dysfunction drug. Under the Patent Act, a company has to fully disclose how their product is created and what makes it work. Teva claimed that although Pfizer listed the ingredients in Viagra, it failed to disclose the key chemical compounds, and as a result, Pfizer was able to prevent competition. The judges agreed in a 7-0 decision. Now other companies can produce and sell a generic version of Viagra, which is expected to be much cheaper than the original. November is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, and the results of an Ipsos Read poll underscore the need for more awareness. Despite the fact that it is the most lethal cancer and the fourth largest cause of cancer death in North America, only a third of Canadians say they know anything about it. Most people overestimate the survival rate, which is only 6%. However, once they know the facts, most Canadians agree Canada should develop a strategy to increase research funding and double the survival rate within five years. Renowned novelist Philip Roth says he's done writing. The 79-year-old author of 26 novels and perennial contender for the Nobel Prize in Literature became famous for his humorous and irreverent portraits of American Jewish life. He made the definitive statement about his upcoming retirement in an interview with a French magazine saying, and I quote, I no longer feel this fanaticism to write that I have experienced in my life. 
Roth says he'll now have more time to clear up interpretations of his work and to cooperate with his recently named biographer, Blake Bailey. And finally... Skyfall, the newest entry in the James Bond series, opened in theaters across North America this weekend. The series itself has become a Zoomer, celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, and appropriately, Skyfall tackles the issues of an aging James Bond. Bond finds himself feeling that most of his job can now be accomplished by a tech-savvy millennial with a few keystrokes on a computer. Director Sam Mendes follows Bond as he tries to overcome the feeling of slowing down in a world that's constantly speeding up. In the end, it all comes down to modern technology versus experience, knowledge, and Bond's unique set of old-school skills. The theme of the film seems to be a winning one. It's open to overwhelmingly positive reviews. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's Remembrance Day, a day for honoring soldiers who served in all wars. And here at the new AM740, we'd like to express our gratitude to these veterans. One aspect of war is keeping up morale. And during World War II, one of the main ways this was accomplished was through music. It was the first major war where soldiers could listen to the radio from their bases, camps, and hideouts. Many of them spent long, cold nights in the company of voices belonging to the Andrews sisters, Bing Crosby, Peggy Lee, Edith Piaf, Billie Holiday, and Louis Armstrong. In the UK, the BBC, which previously shunned popular music, turned to big band and swing to keep morale high. But nobody was as popular as singer Vera Lynn. She sang some of the most iconic songs of the Second World War, including The White Cliffs of Dover, which was written when British and German aircraft were fighting over the cliffs of Dover in the Battle of Britain. The song's lyrics looked towards a time when the war would be over and peace would rule over the scenic cliffs, which are Britain's de facto border with the European mainland. Today, as we listen to the song, we remember those who heard it and drew strength from it over 65 years ago. There'll be The shepherd will tend his sheep, the valley will bloom again, and Jimmy will go to sleep in his own little room again. There'll be
That was Vera Lynn singing There Will Be Bluebirds Over the White Cliffs of Dover. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll return and hear an interview with Sonke Neitzel, author of Soldaten. It explores the transcripts of covert audio recordings of conversations among German prisoners of war. The book reveals a lot about the attitudes of the everyday soldiers towards the horrific acts of violence they were committing. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. It's an archive that finally and unequivocally debunks the myth that members of the German military outside the SS behaved honorably during the Second World War. Historian Sonke Neitzel came upon recently declassified transcripts of secretly recorded conversations among German POWs taken by the Allies within the confines of barracks, holding cells, and camps. I talked with him when he was in Toronto to promote his book Soldaten, which examines the soldiers' casual and pitiless brutality. Sonke Neitzel, your book... Soldaten is based on recently declassified, bugged conversations that the Allies recorded of 14,000 German POWs during World War II. Amazing stuff. It is amazing stuff. Yeah, you're right. It really puts to rest the lie that a lot of the soldiers outside the SS did not know about the final solution or the Holocaust or that they themselves behaved in a humane fashion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they obviously, um, if somebody still believed in the myth of a clean Wehrmacht, I mean, after reading that book, I mean, he must be really finally convinced. I think the big impact, the book was published in Germany last year for the first time, was that um, if you read these transcripts of so the conversations from German soldiers, young German men at the time, and if they talking about uh, brutality, mass violence, raping even, it's so, yeah, it's so striking and so, I mean, so clear what was going on because you can read their voices and, and what they thought. They did not see that they were annihilating the Jewish people? Even if they saw, say, a war crime, atrocity, 10,000 Jewish people were killed, they didn't draw a conclusion out of it. That's the interesting thing. They saw that and said, well, that's war. That's just a normal war. For, the, for them, the Second World War was like the First World War, but more brutal, but more bigger than, than nothing substantially new. This gives us an explanation of the banality of war. They were not interested in war crimes. The war crimes for us are in the center of the Second World War, but not for them. For them, it was just women surviving, gossip talks, promotions, very important, medals, striving for social acceptance, just do your work. And that's it. So they were not very much interested in, in, in crimes, atrocities and all these things. It was not in their center of their, of their perception of the war. You did find some new things. And, yeah. and here, just to paraphrase, uh, it says mass yeah. rape and participation in mass killings of Jews for fun. Yeah, 
Exactly. That's an inter very interesting point of view because um, we knew that the Jews were killed. But we, it's very difficult to say something about the feelings of the people who killed the Jews. Um, this was somehow a black box. I mean, after the war, they were put on trial and put on court and said, well, I have to obey orders and all these things. But in these materials, we have at least some evidence and some cases where they described it and just as pleasure. They were invited from the SS. I mean, we are going to kill the Jews. Would you like to come with us? And they gave them a Tommy gun and they enjoyed that because they just can't do it. And it has no ideological reason. It was just, I can kill people and I, I do it. And you think, why do German people kill Jews? It has not, not so much to do with ideology. People sometimes um, are very brutal uh, because they just enjoy to be brutal for no other reason. Not because they believed in National Socialist ideology, just because they enjoyed to be brutal. That's in these circumstances the case. There was one pilot who was even in 39 in Poland invited to do this. And he was probably not a Nazi, but this was not the explanation for that. He was just giving the chance to kill people and he was just enjoying killing people. It's very astonishing for us. Uh, I have to admit that. But um, I think also the book explains and a bit downgrades the impact of ideology. It was not so much the ideology which was standing behind atrocities. It was much more the situation. It was much more not the intention, but the situation, which um, can explain uh, a lot of these atrocities. Did these soldiers have any idea that they were being bugged? No, no I don't. Th well, we can't prove it from every of the 14,000 uh, soldiers. But, I mean, the British were, as the British are, they were very cunning and uh, um, they were very clever in, in organizing these bugging operations. So, for example, we have the evidence that uh, they were interrogated and they were then going from the interrogation back to the prisoner cell to their fellow soldiers and they, they said, well, the interrogation officer asked me some silly questions and I don't told him the truth, but the truth is. And then he oh. told his fellow soldier the truth. So again, and, he, and the British were able to, to record that. And, and the wish to speak was so massive that they want to exchange their experience. Uh, and the, the, the British was it Was it getting it off their chest or was it bragging about it? Well, it was both of it, I think. I mean, we must have in mind that, especially in the British case, they, they were bugged just one, two, three days after they were captured. And under dramatic circumstances, their airplanes were shot down, their submarines were sank. So they just nearly survived that. Uh, and they want to exchange their experience. What surprised you the most? I, I really discovered how different their worldview was. So killing, dying, uh, sometimes even raping was just normal for them. It was just, just like bricklayers talking about building a house. It was just just normal. And even if, if their own soldiers were, were killed. Um, so this, and the, the way they were talking about that, no astonishment. So there was n no story about any kind of brutality in war. How absurd it might be, so not every story is true, so how absurd it might be, uh, get any astonishment. Okay, thank you very much, very interesting. My pleasure, thank you very much. Soldaten is published by McClelland and Stewart. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. 
This week, Americans voted to put President Barack Obama back in the Oval Office for four more years. How will that impact Zoomers? And what role did they play in this election? In just a minute, I'll be joined by AARP's Deborah Whitman. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time now for your International Arts Datebook, tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Zoomers remember him as the Fonz. Now Henry Winkler stars in The Performers, set at an adult film award ceremony. I don't think about that because the play is about Daniel's character and his fiancée, and Cheyenne and his wife Ari, and it is about love. It's about the heart. The Performers also stars Alicia Silverstone and is still in previews at the Long Acre Theatre on West 48th Street. To Nashville, where more than 150 guitars of legendary performers, including Elvis, have gone on display. The Guitar and American Love Story is at the Tennessee State Museum. And in Melbourne, Australia... Stephen Sondheim's A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum stars Academy, Tony, and Emmy Award-winning actor Jeffrey Rush as Pseudolus. Jeffrey Rush is on stage at Melbourne's Her Majesty's Theatre for a limited 12-week run. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Thanks, Jane. The top story this week was the American presidential election. The entire world watched as the United States voted very decisively in an election that carries massive implications for the future of health care and civil liberties. What does this mean for Zoomers? I reached Deborah Whitman of the AARP to find out. I think it's an important election to at least settle the debate of how we're going to move forward with health care in this country. If uh, Governor Romney had been elected, there would have been, I think, uh, a lot of back and forth about what the future of health reform would be. Now we can build on it and extend it, fix it, improve it, because we really need to address the high cost of health care in America. The costs are unbelievable in the United States, and, and the outcomes are not as high as the costs. You're not right up there. <laughs> no, I wish I wish I could say we are had the best and most efficient healthcare system in the world, but we have a long way to go. A recent report by the Institute of Medicine here um, showed that about a third of all spending on healthcare is uh, waste, um, over-testing, duplicate testing, not using evidence-based medicine. So we have a long way to go, and I think that affects not only the security of people like our members who spend a lot of their of the retirement income on health care, but also, you know, the overall budget of the United States. Now, how important do you think the issue of health care was in this election? I mean, it, it wasn't an issue that got a lot of the sound and fury, but was it the crucial one, in your opinion? I, I think, you know, we are such a diverse country. Uh, there was a huge number of issues that, that played out in people's minds. I don't know if it was the decisive for people who liked it or decisive for the people that voted against it. Well, we still have to sort of pour through the polls and exit polls coming out. I'd like to talk a little bit about the Zoomer vote. Mm -hmm. And here in Canada, basically, this demographic votes way out of proportion to its uh, numbers in the population. Basically, older people vote a lot more than younger people, and therefore their votes carry some weight. 
do you think that um, the Zoomer vote was a big factor in this election? I think traditionally um, elections, uh, older voters have turned out more. Um, some of the recent though polling that I've seen said that the um, Obama camp and the Democratic camp really did invigorate younger voters um, in this election cycle, and that was that you know helped decide in, in many areas. What are some of the other issues that are important for the demographic? We are also really um, worried about the future for retirement security broadly. Not only are health care costs going up, but um, people often don't have enough savings to last their lifetime. We only have about half of our population that work for employers that offer them a way to save through their paycheck. Um, that's not enough, and we need to do more in that area. There's also a long-term imbalance in our Social Security program, so we need to put that on its right footing so that um, people know it's going to be there for their future. Deb Whitman, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm okay. delighted. We'll be sure to keep you up to date with Zoomer issues south of the border as America begins four more years of the Obama administration. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, please email them to zwirzwire at zoomerradio.ca. I'm Libby Snymer. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrea. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.